bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to be your host. Today, I'm excited because I have two guests, Dennis Kennedy and Angelise Valenciano. Both are from the National Diversity Council. Our topic, which is very near and dear to me, is diversity and inclusion. And we'll talk about how it relates to the role of talent champions. And really, it's so important for any leader that wants to be successful today. Let me start with sharing a little bit of background about our guest. Dennis Kennedy is the founder of National Diversity Council, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to being a resource and advocate for the value of diversity and inclusion. Angelise, she is the CEO of National Diversity Council, which is focused on fostering workplace diversity and inclusion by strengthening business, academic, and community partnerships. Welcome, Dennis and Angelise. I'm so honored that you joined us. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yes, thank you very much. We're excited to be a part of the podcast. I was trying to think back, when did I first meet you, Dennis? And I think it was at the Women's Leadership Conference or Symposium in Illinois. It had to be like 10 years ago. Uh, And I remember being so impressed with the organizations when you were looking for additional board members. I was like, yes, yes, sign me up. And I've been thrilled to be part of your organization (laughs) since then. Yeah, I do remember meeting you at our symposium. It was a great event. We've been very grateful for your leadership and your input in our organization. Well, recently I was able to see both of you in action on a very large stage at your very successful Leadership and Diversity Conference. And Angelise expertly interviewed actress America Fiera. And Dennis, you flawlessly interviewed President Barack Obama. (laughs) So now I get to turn the tables on you a little bit and ask you questions, even though it's more of a discussion. So maybe let's start with Dennis. Maybe you could share some insights on your background and how you started the National Diversity Council. Sure. And I went to the University of Houston, where I have uh, several undergraduate degrees as well as an MBA. Went from there to corporate America. While in corporate America, I was uh, invited to work on a project that focused on diversity and from that, it grew my diversity, and then I started teaching diversity management at uh, UT and made the decision that this is something that I'm really passionate about and wanted to do on a full-time basis. So I initially sought out employment in the area of DNI, and then um, made a decision that I really wanted to start a nonprofit that would promote diversity and inclusion in the workplace and the community. And so in February 2004, we started the Texas Diversity Council. And then in 2008, the National Diversity Council was launched. Uh, I met Angelis in 2004, and she joined staff in 2005. And her and I have been growing the council ever since. Yeah. I love the story, though, you tell about uh, your mom. And, and it was, what did you say? It was like harder to um, tell your mom you quit your job than actually quitting the job. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, my, you know, uh, when you have responsibilities uh, such as house note, car note, and you just up and quit your job without giving your parents notice, they get really concerned. I was determined that I wanted to really champion diversity and advocate for inclusion in the workplace. At that particular time, women only made up 7% of corporate boards and senior leadership teams of Fortune 1000 companies. And that number has since doubled, but still is not equal. So there's still a lot of advocacy. Uh, there's still a lot of systems uh, that need to be challenged in, in the workplace and our communities. Yeah. Well, meeting your mom a couple months ago in person, she is by far, I think, your biggest fan. So I, I think it all worked well, out. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. So tell us about what accomplishment are you most proud of based on everything that you've been able to do? Um, well, you know, you mentioned having President Obama show up at our conference uh, about six, seven weeks ago. That was colossal uh, to build something from scratch that will attract the president of the United States was huge. He is diversity and he is unequivocally our biggest champion in our country for diversity and inclusion in the workplace. But actually, um, you know, meeting, having the opportunity to meet with you and work with McDonald's when we first started the National Diversity Council and having such a um, significant brand as McDonald's joining the local diversity council was pretty substantial. There's been a lot of people who put their hands on the plow to make the National Diversity Council vision come to fruition, and you are absolutely one of them. Oh, thank you. You've always been such an inclusive leader. You walk the talk, and you just bring people together for the good of the world. And and I tell you, regardless of what political party you are affiliated with, Barack Obama was amazing. And the things he talked about, I mean, I'm still thinking and processing and and repeating when he talked about, you know, think of a third grade class today compared to what it was 50 years ago and how diverse it is now. We're never going back. And we got to figure out how to work better together and have leaders that represent who the people of this world are today. So um, just so impressive. Yeah, and, and how many people came? Because I don't know if I heard a last count. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah, we were very fortunate. We had about 3,300 people attend the conference, which was our biggest crowd. So yeah. we were very grateful and thankful for their participation. And our next conference is on uh, April 21st, 22nd. Our hope is uh, to have Oprah as our keynote speaker, so we're waiting for a confirmation. So we're really excited about that. Cool. Can I sign up now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So th- thank you for sharing that information and background. Now let's let our audience learn a little bit more about your impressive CEO, Angelis. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in your current role. Well, thank you, Diana. You know, I always uh, love to share the story um, as, as the council has grown uh, into what it is today. We, we have a presence in 28 states. I came to the council by way of J.P. Morgan Chase. At the time, I was one of four diversity officers um, with the organization that had responsibility over uh, organizational development 
diversity and I led efforts for Latin America, um, Canada, and our first uh, credit card services site in Mumbai, India. So I was very fortunate to be in San Antonio when I first encountered Dennis and he had this brilliant idea, um, vision of creating this organization that would really bring together um, industries, academia, you know, nonprofit sector, all of it together to really talk about the value and the importance of the changing workforce at the time. We're talking about the beginning of, you know, 2000. So it was, it was very interesting um, what the conversation was back then. Um, and I always like to, to, to thank Dennis for that opportunity because I feel that I was already in the diversity field. I was at a um, wonderful organization that I um, have so much respect for and I care so much about. I was actually part of a women of color executive development program. And so I knew that I was headed into even more of a senior role um, when uh, the, the uh, company changed courses and I ended up being moved to New York City. So the decision back then came that I was a brand new mom, had two little babies. I really did not want to, to travel so much. And uh, speaking to Dennis, I said, Dennis, I just can't do this in New York. He says, okay, we'll come back. Let's, let's um, work on this council, this, this idea together. We always talk about taking risk. And I think that I was one of the best decisions I ever made. And today, as I look back and, and I reconsider uh, that decision, I always come back to the same conclusion. I would have done it again if I had to. And I'm glad that I did because he always knew what he was you know, set out to do. Dennis always knew. It took me a little bit more time to, to see that vision um, to get there. But I think that was one of the reasons why I ended up following him. And, um, and that's what great leaders do, right? They, they have the vision and then they bring you along in that vision. And that's what Dennis has been able to, to accomplish at a larger scale now. Um, I am an immigrant to this country. I, I arrived in the United States in 1993, right, uh, as I was completing college at the uh, university in, in my hometown of San Luis Potosí, Mexico. And so my journey as, as a Latina, as an immigrant, as a, a woman, as a minority, has really led me to not just appreciate, but at this stage of, of my life and my career, um, really want to have that voice magnified many, many times. I love that I can now pronounce my name in Spanish, right? Angeles Valenciano, and that's beautiful. And I, I couldn't do that for many years. Um, so just an example of um, where, we, where we are, but still, as, as Dennis mentioned, and, and I echo that, we still have a long way to go. What a wonderful background. And wow, both of you are such great role models for taking risks, following your passion, and you truly are making a difference. And every time I give either of you a compliment, I always hear back, but we have so much more to do. And we do, but 
you know, hopefully you guys see the impact that you're making to so many organizations. I know you made a huge impact with me as a leader and to, you know, our organization, McDonald's uh, Corporation, and, and what we were able to do and the resources available for diversity and inclusion. So um, let's maybe turn the, the topic a little bit and just talk about why it's so important for companies to focus on diversity and inclusion today. Well, I, I feel that we are at a turning point now in, in so many of the initiatives that organizations have started around diversity you know, for, for decades now. We are at this moment where we recognize that not only is it the right business thing to do, you have to. You have to incorporate um, diversity into the workplace because um, you just said it brilliantly. We're never going back to what the workplace was. You know, it's 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 a diverse workforce. We need to understand the dynamics of that, and then how how it impacts the business as a whole. Part of what we do at the National Diversity Council, um, and working so closely with organizations that are not just uh, domestic, uh, they are international, they're global entities is helping them understand the value of creating this this workforce. You don't have to leave the country now to be at MD Anderson Cancer Center where they speak 54 languages every day to patients that are coming from abroad. Um, you don't have to be away in a different country to to be at, at, a, at a meeting at Toyota when they are strategizing of you know the 260 plants that we will talk about today uh, around the world and how their biggest driver and engine in innovation is the diversity of people and thoughts, experiences, and understandings that they they know as part of their talent uh, pipeline will will make the organization even stronger and better. Yeah. And even every time I read the statistics, you know, it just makes me sad. Yes, in some areas we're making... um, some impact and there's definitely more awareness and and people speak up when things are not done correctly but you know recently i went back and i was looking at the 2018 bloomberg article america's c-suites keeps getting whiter and more male too and that right now only three african-american ceos running fortune 500 companies and that's down from eight in 2015 and right now, only 24 females are CEOs in the Fortune 500, which is a 25% drop since 2017. So, you know, that just makes me sad. And it makes me, um, I guess, even more energized and passionate about we've got to do more so that leaders of all, you know, walks of life and diversity, uh, you know, continue to grow and feel supported so that others see and are inspired by the people above them and they help change the world. So, you know, what do you see successful companies doing today with respect to diversity inclusion? Because you guys have quite a few impressive organizations, part of your council. So you get a chance to interact with a bunch of different people. So what what are the success stories out there? Well, I can share one that, that just um, we were just talking about yesterday at our LGBTQ Unity Summit in San Antonio. And we were talking about an organization that, um, for the most part, had really never embraced fully the concept of DNI. 
um, through what they were doing, but they understood that in order to be relevant, in order to be open to even more segments and communities um, that are their customers or consumers, that they had to make this shift. And they talked about really focusing, uh, yes, on the diversity, yes, on the inclusion, but more so on the equity aspect of the workplace, right? What, what is equitable? And um, so they used a quote that I really liked, and, and they said, um, we all know that quote that, that diversity is being in, invited to the dance and, and inclusion is being asked to dance. But then they added a third part to that, and they said, and, and equity is being invited to the planning committee. I really feel that that's the shift that organizations are now making. The understanding of we have we already have a diverse workforce. That's not going to change. It is already here. The inclusion aspect of it continues to be a driving formula. But what are some other measurements and other aspects that we bring into that equation? And so that is what I see in the near future. Is something that will will be growing in, in that understanding. Yeah, being part of the planning process. Because as I interact with companies, I see those that are taking it so seriously. And now I don't even think that they realize they're doing it because it's just part of their culture is, you know, it's part of how they put the messages out there. They're always diverse groups, you know, so if they're looking to attract new employees, they're highlighting how diverse their organization is now. So part of their recruitment, something they think about with promotions and, you know, these affinity or um, inclusion groups, you know, that help people come together. And it was funny, I was talking to somebody not that long ago and it's like there's a mother's group you know because as more and more younger workers are coming into the workforce and they're having their first child they're learning how to you know support each other and to juggle everything so you know I love that the thought process is there in in these successful companies and and I'm very optimistic that those that are leading in those organizations realize they couldn't have it any other way and as they spread their wings and maybe you know go to other organizations or people that they've touched will start to see why if we're not doing this, we need to be doing it, right? So what needs to change in order to see a steady flow of women and minorities move into, you know, higher management and especially the C-suite? Since right now we see the trend going the opposite way based on statistics, what needs to happen to change that, in your opinion? Well, there has to be a commitment from the CEO to be inclusive when you talk about being inclusive, um, organizations have to be intentional around developing all talent and not just some of their talent, but developing all of their talent and identifying future leaders of the organization. And so very often you see organizations that may have a woman, may have a person of color in leadership, but they don't have a pipeline you know, either you develop talent or you buy talent. And unfortunately, not all organizations are developing all their talent. Um, so it really starts at the very top. And when you don't see diversity in the boardroom, uh, that speaks volumes of the organization's commitment to diversity. When you don't see diversity in senior leadership team, that also uh, says a lot about the organization, says a lot about um, the culture of the organization. I think it's really important to keep in mind that, you know, 1960, up until 1964, 
women and people of color didn't have professional jobs in the workplace. The workplace was dominated by, you know, one group. The cultures were a monolithic culture in which one group dominates the the organization. And we still see that culture in some of the organizations today in which one group dominates um, the organization and everyone looks the same. So um, that continues to be a challenge for organizations. But also I think we need more advocacy. I think it's important to hold corporate leaders accountable and challenge the systems of inequality that are so pervasive in our workplaces and our communities. It's got to start by the commitment of the CEO because it has to come from the very top and and being being intentional in all talent activities so that they do have that pipeline because, you know, the world's changing and things are, are moving around and you can't think, okay, this is the way my leadership team's going to stay because of the turnover. And, you know, the the market's still pretty tight as far as, uh, you know, unemployment being still very low, and people can move around. And I see that more. I'm sure you guys are saying it too, is if people aren't happy, or if a better opportunity comes, they're going to be moving. Um, So maybe let's think about those minority leaders right now. You know, what advice do you have for them as they're looking for jobs and they want to advance their leadership career. And we know they're needed. So, you know, what advice if you were talking to those individuals out there that want to climb the ladder or are in some place along the ladder and they know they can go higher and we need them to go higher, what advice would you give them? I think it's important to really understand your workplace culture because for some people and some groups, it doesn't matter how talented you are, you will never get to the top of the organization because the organization is not inclusive. So it doesn't value all of its talent and it only develops some of its talent. So I think it's really important if you're a high flyer talent, if you're one of these go-getter talented people, and then you need to identify an organization that has an inclusive culture that will give you opportunities to develop and move up within the organization. A monolithic culture will not give you those opportunities. doesn't matter how talented you are. You are the wrong color or you're the wrong gender, and you will not have those opportunities within that organization. You still have organizations who have never had a woman in leadership. There's a couple of Fortune 1000 companies here in Texas that they don't have any women on their board of directors, and this is 2019. So my advice is, is, is find an organization that develops all their talent and you'll have opportunities. If you're somewhere where they don't, you won't have opportunities. So just start by looking at the top of the organization. If you don't see anyone that looks like you, that's not where you want to be. And I couldn't agree with that more. And and what I would add to that, and what I often share with um, people that I sponsor or mentor, um, is that we we have to create our own brand, right, As, as individuals. Uh, we often hear the saying that it's it's really about who you know, and and I guess there is some truth to that. But I like to think that it's it's really about who wants to know you. So be very strategic. You know, go out and and find opportunities to to hone your leadership skills, to understand um, maybe volunteering in nonprofits. We always welcome leaders, uh, potential leaders of color that are doing that. Um, to be part of our organization. And I think that's one great way to put yourself and position yourself in, in areas or in rooms where um, you will be visible. 
Um, but have that understanding, you know, to Dennis's point of really doing your homework on if you're thinking about moving into an organization, what is their culture? Who are they? What do they look like? What does the top of the organization look like? Do you think you're ever going to make it there? And I think that our generations now, you know, at least our younger generations, our, our millennials and, and Zers, um, that's one thing they look at. Who are they? What do they care about? Are they uh, involved with community efforts? Is, is, you know, are they diverse? Do they, do they have something that ties to that? So the more educated you are on what you're getting yourself into and knowing your own value, I think that plays a huge role. Yeah. I love that, you know, know your own value, know your organization. I guess I still want to be that um, person that believes that the world is changing and will change. And so even though you may not see diversity at the top level now, I got to believe at some point they're going to get the message and understand it. As, you know, one of the very few women when I started off in leadership, you know, at a department head and even vice president, you know, I, I know the desire was there to do more. But back to something I think you said, Dennis, is we didn't have the pipeline. So, you know, once we got a few women there, it was like, you know, as I coach my leaders is sometimes you have to play the game based on how it's set up until you get to a position where you can change the rules. And and I feel so blessed to have worked for a company where I was able to change the rules uh, to create more opportunities. But, you know, I know, you know, organizations out there, I got to believe are going to get the message and understand that they're not going to be successful if they're not leading with what uh, the world looks like today, you know, at least representations. And and so I'm hoping that this in, enlightenment wand is going to come, the magical wand, and, and, you know, we can all be part of it. And, and I really believe your organization, like so many others out there, are starting to, to be able to see this and understand the need for diversity and inclusion. And even though, you know, maybe they're doing it to protect their brand right now, that there's some challenges, hopefully they'll see the benefit of creating that environment and opening the door for people that can truly bring in value and help shape where their company needs to go. Not where it is today, but maybe where it needs to go to be successful in the future. Uh, that's how I kind of hope to to think about it. But let's say they have been enlightened and now we've got talent champions out there. I know we have them in our audience. I've talked to them. I've interacted with them. I've worked with some of them. And let's say they want to create this more diverse and inclusive environment. What suggestions or advice do you have? So the company realizes they need to change. We've got some people in place that want to do it, but they don't know how. What advice do you have for them to move forward? Well, you know, once they know, I think that's probably the, the biggest uh, hurdle to, to pass and in, in trying to, to have the support of senior leadership. But once they know that they have that support, uh, you have to be intentional on what it is that you're asking for. You know, be prepared to do your homework, understand what you're trying to accomplish and try, it, try to tie it into the business strategy. How do I align what we are requesting? If it's, if it's diversity, you know, initiatives, if it's diversity dollars, if it's talent management, you know, any of those, what are we, how do we tie that into the business strategy to make it um, worthwhile, but also having an understanding of, um, as, as we're putting together an idea, what are the goals of the organization and how can we um, align 
what our requests are into those future business strategies. You know, five years from now, what is the organization trying to do or to accomplish? And how do we align ourselves to that so that we can take what we are doing and put it as a driver to business success? And and then on, I would also add it's really important that when an organization does when an organization does decide to get on the journey of creating an, an inclusive culture that they make sure that they have resources to accomplish their DNI goals. Very often what you'll find is organizations make a decision to make that journey, but don't provide the resources um, to the individuals that are tasked with uh, taking their team on that journey. And in addition to that, they make the mistake of making it an HR program and um, doesn't receive the respect. So there's, there's some decisions at the very front end that need to be made uh, with the leadership to make sure that this initiative is not put in a department, but it's, it's an initiative that's led by their CEO with the expectation that all leaders are champions of diversity and, and are actively engaged and involved in making sure that uh, the organization is making the decisions that they need to make to make sure that they're inclusive. I love that. All leaders should be champions of diversity and inclusion. It shouldn't be an HR thing or a talent thing. And, and I love what you said Angelise, about being intentional and tying the diversity and inclusion into the, the business strategy, or if it, it or it won't get done at the level it needs to, and it won't be uh, shown to be important. So I love great advice. And then maybe talking a little bit more about resources, because, you know, in today's world, margins are tight. Everybody is expected to produce even more with less resources, or at least that seems to be the trend in many areas. Um, tell us about what you see organizations doing in regards to what resources they're using, how are they leveraging them, uh, and then maybe you could include resources that are available for organizations. So shamelessly, please make a plug. So thank you very much in asking the question about resources. The National Diversity Council does have a list of resources that we provide organizations and um, one is such is the Diversity First Toolkit, which is an online database of articles that cover a myriad of topics focused on DNI. Organizations as a member would have access to the Diversity First Toolkit and be able to leverage that toolkit to help their efforts around DNI. Included on its toolkit are over 100 webinars that focus on a variety of different topics as well as research articles. It is a um, tool that organizations can uh, make full use of as a member of the Diversity Council. We also have a wonderful certification program, and this is a, a program that has um, really taken off under the leadership of our VP of Research, um, Cecilia Oriana Rojas. And, and this particular program is um, tended to prepare professionals to be able to create and implement very successful DNI strategies um, within their organizations. We often talk about how the National Diversity Council puts on great events, and we are known 
as an organization at this wonderful conference in education and around leadership. Uh, but part of our five-year strategy now moving forward is also um, including our services. So we are uh, happy to take this opportunity to share what those are. And then Dennis talked about the toolkit, our certification program. We also have an arm for consulting and training, um, education, professional services, and then research. So a great time to join the organization for sure. And I love how you have evolved to fill a gap because I know even, you know, working in a large corporation and now consulting to large corporations, you know, they don't always have the highest level of experts uh, in these areas that have the depth of knowledge and know how to do it right. And I think sometimes companies want to do the right things, but they're not sure how to educate and to train and who should be doing that. And I love that you fill that void that you will do it for organizations as far as you have the resources and you'll do the training and consulting or the certification program, because I'm a big advocate of training trainers, that you train people that can go in and then keep it going. So um, just wonderful uh, resources programs. And it's been exciting as a board member to see the uptake and every year how much, uh, how many more organizations are taking advantage of it. Yes. So we're not only the national voice for diversity and inclusion in the country, we are now evolving into being the national voice and service of diversity and inclusion for the country. And we're very, very proud of that. Awesome. Well-deserved recognition and reputation. So um, maybe we'll start with you, Angelise. Tell us about one person who's had the greatest impact on your professional life and why you wouldn't be where you are today without that person's influence. It, uh, thank you so much for asking that question because I don't often get asked that question and I wish I could talk about him um, so much more. His name uh, was um, Dr. Ornelas and Jaime Ornelas and he was my very first boss in uh, my first job as an intern um, at, a, at a company in my hometown of San Luis Potosí, Mexico. I consider him to be the greatest influence in my career and in my life in, in, in that sense, in a professional sense, because he was the hardest person to work for. He was the most difficult person to work for. And I say that now with a lot of respect. I did not know uh, back then why it was so challenging to work with him and why he was such a perfectionist <laughs> and why he demanded so much of me. And now I'm grateful that he did because it really helped me understand um, when I arrived in this country, my first biggest barrier was uh, that I didn't speak English. And so one of the things that I would remember from his coaching was that every opportunity that you have to learn something, you have to learn it right the first time. And that was something that as a 23-year-old who is moving into a different country, who doesn't understand the language, who didn't know the culture, I committed myself to learn you know, English uh, the right way. And I would say to myself, Angeles, you have to learn uh, to speak the language in order to be able to do what you want to do, and that is have a career in this country. But it was really that advice that helped me understand that in front of me, we're, we were always going to have barriers or we always encounter some kind of difficulty. But that whatever that was, I had to do it right the first time. And I had to 
be so committed in doing it right the first time and to do it many times until it was right. So I, I, I give him the credit for that. Wow, love it. And wow, just highlights again the incredible uh, journey that you've been on uh, from where you started to where you are today. Awesome. Okay, Dennis, do you have a person that comes to mind? I have, uh, I, I would describe as a group of individuals that play a significant role in my life as a former college athlete. I have spent a, a lot of time on the football field, in the weight room, and in the gym between the ages of you know, 12 and 23. Though I don't play football anymore, I think a lot of the principles I learned as, a, as an athlete from my coaches go over really well in, in, in our society, in our workplace. Doing the simple things right and you know, all those uh, lessons learned as an athlete. Um, so I, I give kudos to all my coaches going all the way back to uh, junior high school who challenged me to be the best that I could be, uh, challenged me to be disciplined and focused. Um, so I, I just want to give kudos to all my former coaches who have invested in me. Wow, so wonderful. All the parents out there, get your kids into sports. It really does pay off, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So as we get ready to wrap up, what final piece of advice do you have for our talent champions? The advice I would give them is to to really understand um, the process of of learning to let go of any biases that we all have, and we we all carry those. And that sometimes, in order to make the best decision in in hiring and finding the right talent to bring into the organization or to develop. Um, into the pipeline of the organization that we need to check ourselves for that. Um, so try to be mindful of that and understand what, what that is so that we we can correct it. You know, there's that saying, that don't judge a book by a cover. And sometimes we need to look deeper into an individual. If I may, I, I want to use myself. I wonder how many times somebody said we can't give this person an opportunity because her accent is terrible or she doesn't speak English right. Um, but there was an organization that opened the door for me and there, there was a talent um, management person who said, you know what, there's something there that she would be able to do right. And, and I'm glad that they did. That's my advice. And my advice would be just be a continuous learner. You don't know what you don't know. So it would behoove you to position yourself to continue learning more about DNI and how you can take DNI principles and apply it to your workplace. Wonderful. Love, love both of your answers and, and the advice to our audience. How can our listeners get in touch with you or learn more? Well, they can visit our website at nationaldiversityconference.com. In addition to our nationaldiversitycouncil.com, we also have um, our National Women's Council and our Latino uh, initiatives our so they Council for Latino Workplace Equity and our Healthcare Diversity Council mm. website. Right. Great. And I know both of you are on LinkedIn. Would it be okay if our listeners wanted to reach out and connect to you on LinkedIn? Sure. Absolutely. 
Great. Well, it's been an honor. Thank you so much, both of you, for sharing your passion, your experience, your expertise with our audience. This has been um, very enjoyable for me. I continue to learn more about your organization and both of you as leaders, and you continue to inspire me, and I'm sure you inspire so many others, and you guys are making a difference. So thank you for everything that you do. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for your lifelong commitment to the work that we do and and that you do as well. Thank you so much. Yes, I also echo those words as well. Thank you so much. After episode 10 with executive image consultant Anna Wildermoth, I received a lot of feedback about the ongoing challenges you and leaders are facing when it comes to executive presence. So I brought in another resource to help. On our next episode, we're talking about presence and influence. Find it wherever you get your podcast on August the 8th and visit our website to subscribe for an email notification when it comes out. That's talent-champions.com. Click on subscribe to receive an email as well as bonus information from our guest. Thanks and have a great week. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show or to receive more valuable insights, please visit franklincovey.com slash talentchampions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.